Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. Did today's topic catch your attention? Well, I can't say I'm surprised. So many women I speak with every single day tell me that they cannot gain control over their appetite and specifically over their desire for carbohydrates and sweets. They're experiencing hunger all throughout the day, regardless of when they ate. And they also experience cravings. And this feeling of constantly thinking about food and wanting to eat when you've just had a meal or when you are supposed to feel full, quote unquote, can contribute to a lot of stress around eating and anxiety around food. And on top of that, of course, it can also contribute to weight gain and this preoccupation with food all throughout the day. And that's not where we want to be, not from a physical or a mental perspective. So if you're someone who experiences hunger, you're not sure what's going on. Why is this happening? Why can I seem to not get enough food? Today's episode is for you. And one thing that's super common is self-blame around this topic. So this feeling of disappointment in ourselves as if we're, you know, lacking discipline or we have no control or we're too weak around food or we have not enough motivation or willpower to get through the day without food. And the truth is that it actually is not related to any of those things. It's biology, it's hormones, and we're going to talk about specifically three hormones today that trigger hunger. And in many cases, also prevent fullness. Yes, it's a double whammy with PCOS. We're going to break it all down today. But before we do that, I do want to reiterate to you that it's not your fault. We're going to talk a little bit about behavior and how it may play into the hormone disturbances that cause hunger. But at the end of the day, we're dealing with forces in our body that are way stronger than willpower motivation. So I want you to just kind of throw out that idea that it's your fault right out the window before we get started. Now, if you know anything about me, anything about PCOS and nutrition in general, you know that first and foremost, we have to talk about insulin. You already know, probably, if you followed me or you've been researching PCOS in general, you already know that insulin is a key hormone to learn about and understand when you're managing PCOS. 70 to 90% of women with PCOS do struggle with insulin. Let's call it just dysregulation. Whether you have too much insulin in your system, you have insulin resistance or anything related to high levels of insulin. And when it comes to hunger, insulin is going to be a major culprit. There are two specific ways that insulin can make you hungry. The first one is tricking your body into thinking that you're starving. Yeah, this is a thing that happens in your body when you have untreated or poorly controlled insulin resistance over prolonged periods of time. So one of insulin's main jobs is, of course, to get glucose into our cells where it's then used up as an energy source for your body. So after a meal, the pancreas is going to release insulin, especially if that meal had carbohydrates. And it could be a few carbohydrates or many carbohydrates. It doesn't really have to be a big sugary meal. Insulin is going to be released in order to break down food. And by the way, insulin is also released when you eat certain amounts of protein. So there is an insulin response, not just after carbs, but also after protein. And so your pancreas is going to release the insulin to let that sugar from your meal into the cells. 
And when I say sugar, I just want to be clear, even if you didn't eat something sweet, even if you ate bread or pasta or even yogurt, those things will have carbohydrates in them that break down into a basic sugar molecule that is called glucose. Now, when someone's insulin resistant, the cells are not opening up the door to let that glucose in because they don't recognize insulin. They're not reading the signal properly and they're resistant to the action of insulin. And as a result, what's going to happen is that your brain is going to receive signals that there's no energy in the cells, right? Because glucose didn't get in and it's going to start sending out hunger cues to make sure that you eat more, to make sure that you're getting that energy in that you're surviving, right? Our body's main goal is to survive and keep you alive. And the way that the body knows how to do that when it comes to energy levels, because calories are an energy currency in your body, your brain's gonna trigger you to eat. It's gonna make sure that you eat more even if you just had a meal, just because none of that glucose has entered the cells. And then you're going to be driven by different chemicals, different hormones in your body that trigger hunger. You're going to eat more. More insulin is going to be released as a result of that. And then we enter this cycle of continuing to increase the secretion of insulin from your pancreas and more hunger, less energy, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. So that's one way that insulin can make you feel hungrier, tricking your body into thinking that it's starving and then causing your brain to release hunger hormones. The second way that insulin can trigger hunger is the opposite, actually. It's by dropping blood sugar too low. So this is the other thing that may happen where blood sugar drops too low because there's too much insulin circulating in your system and it pulls too much of that sugar out of your circulation into the cells. So as you can see, when you have insulin resistance, and especially if you've already developed prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, your body cannot handle blood sugar, whether it's high or low, particularly well. And this is why we see a lot of fluctuations and a lot of peaks and valleys in blood sugar when someone's insulin resistant, especially if, again, insulin resistance has been going on for a little while, it's not been treated properly, and now your pancreas is kind of basically on its way to giving out and your blood sugar is poorly regulated. So this usually happens after meals that contain too many carbs in one sitting or not enough protein to balance it out. So the food may get broken down very quickly. So you ate pasta or you ate cereal in the morning, something like that. Your food is going to get broken down fairly quickly. It's going to raise blood sugar fairly quickly, and that's going to cause your pancreas to overproduce insulin to bring levels down. So it's almost like your body's overreacting a little bit. And think about putting out a, like a bonfire with a fire hose, right? Like there's a disproportionate response to that spike in glucose with an overproduction of insulin, okay? And then as a result of that, we have so much insulin, too much of that glucose is going to be taken up from the bloodstream and the levels can drop too low. This is often referred to as reactive hypoglycemia, and if you've ever experienced this, you would know. You would definitely know because you cannot mistake this feeling for anything else. All of a sudden, it comes on very abruptly. You're going to be feeling weak, faint, shaky, sweaty, usually within about two hours of eating, but it could go up to as much as four hours after eating. And what happens is that if you've ever experienced hypoglycemia, it's very stressful. It could cause a lot of anxiety. 
And of course, you're going to need to eat right away. So your hunger is going to be pretty acute, pretty urgent. And a lot of times women, when they experience hypoglycemia, they start almost like eating to prevent it, even if they're not particularly hungry or if not, if they just had a meal and, you know, they're going to leave the house, they want to keep food with them at all times just to prevent blood sugar from dipping. And we're kind of playing this catch up game with our blood sugar to make sure it never drops too low. And certainly we don't want that to happen while we're driving or, or anything like that. So, you know, a lot of women find themselves eating constantly to prevent this throughout the day. It can get stressful. It can also just get plain exhausting because you're constantly thinking about it. And so if you're someone who experiences these blood sugar crashes, hypoglycemic episodes between meals, of course, it's going to drive you to eat. You're going to want to bring that blood sugar back up as quickly as possible. And usually what's recommended is something that's very readily available as far as the carbohydrates. So something like apple juice or cranberry juice, those things raise blood sugar back up pretty quickly or even hard candy. But that's definitely something that can, you know, even if it's not a full on hypoglycemic episode, if your blood sugar drops too low because your body's overproducing insulin, you're going to need to eat. You're going to feel hungry frequently throughout the day, regardless of what you just ate or what the timing of day it is. Okay. Now, the fun doesn't end here, unfortunately, with insulin because insulin resistance also causes this cascade effect with two other very important hormones that you may have not heard about so much before. Maybe you've heard of one of them, but in those two play a huge role in appetite management. And we're talking about cortisol, which you may have heard of, but also leptin. So let's actually start with leptin. Leptin is the fullness hormone in your body and it's released from fat cells. So we used to think that fat tissue is not metabolically active, but now we know that that's not true. It's actually an active organ that's producing hormones and it's also producing something called cytokines, which are kind of chemicals that are released during inflammation. And so we know that fat tissue is alive and metabolically active. It's truly an organ that is doing its own thing. And one of the things that it's doing is releasing this hormone called leptin. Leptin helps the brain regulate appetite based on the amount of fat that we have stored in our body so that when we have enough fat, the body doesn't trigger or the brain doesn't cause hunger sensations. It doesn't cause a hunger response when it doesn't need energy, which is, of course, again, calories. And so leptin is not controlling your appetite day to day, meal by meal, but more kind of big picture long term. So the more fat we have, the more leptin we have. And generally speaking, the fuller you'll be, your appetite response is not going to be triggered if you have a lot of leptin in the system. Now, it sounds like a pretty good arrangement, right? So if someone's, you know, has enough energy stores, they don't need to eat as much. And maybe that would have helped regulate body weight a little bit better. But with PCOS, just like there's insulin resistance, there's actually also leptin resistance over time where too much leptin is being released from fat tissue and the brain just stops responding to those fullness signals over time. So it's very similar to insulin resistance where the message is not being communicated properly. And so your body stops responding to the natural action of leptin, which is causing satiety. It's causing fullness. So as a result of this, you can imagine that appetite levels are not suppressed and more food is consumed even though leptin is high. And as you can imagine, as more food enters the system and you eat more, 
more insulin is being released. So there's, again, this sensation or this general situation in your body where your body thinks it's starving, it pushes you to eat foods, and it also pushes you to eat things that are very calorie dense because your body wants you to get all the energy it thinks it needs very, very quickly. So foods that are very calorie dense are unfortunately not our healthiest food, right? So there are things that are very high in sugar, fat, sometimes both. So think about, you know, when you have cravings or when you have the urge to eat, most people go for things that are very readily available and can give you a lot of energy, a lot of calories, a lot of sugar and fat and sometimes carbohydrates in one serving. So think about chips and cookies and ice cream and things like that. The other thing that happens with leptin resistance is that it slows down your metabolism. So again, because the brain is not getting the correct signal that there is in fact enough stored energy in the body in the form of fat, it works to conserve energy and it works to reduce your metabolism because that's the best way your body knows to do this. That's the best way for your body to make sure that you're surviving, you're not going to be burning too much energy. And so it's going to slow down your metabolism, which is how many calories you burn at rest. And it's going to lower your BMR, your basal metabolic rate. And so there's definitely a breakdown in communication here between the brain, the hormones and the energy stores in our body, both in the form of glucose, like we just saw with insulin resistance, but also with fat tissue. And so When you have both insulin resistance and leptin resistance, you're much more prone to hunger. You're much more prone to cravings and impulsive eating. And that's all because of kind of what's going on behind the scenes with both of those hormones. Now, on top of insulin and leptin, we have cortisol. Cortisol is another hormone that's involved in appetite control, and it's also known as the stress hormone. So in the short term, stress can actually shut down appetite. So I want you to think about driving and God forbid, almost getting into an accident or running to catch a train that you see is already at the station or even presenting an important project at work. Usually these are short term bouts of stress that don't really trigger your appetite, right? You're not going to feel hungry right before you have to go up on stage and present Your brain is not going to trigger you to eat ice cream as you're running to go to the train, right? Once those stressful short bouts of episodes are over, cortisol levels fall back to normal and everything is fine. This is actually a part of our survival mechanism and it's a good thing. It's meant to keep you alive. It's meant to keep you alert. It's meant to help you deal with stress, right? This is the fight or flight response. So during those times, appetite is suppressed. However, If stress persists, it's a different story. And that's much more of what we see now in modern society, right? This is kind of dating back to prehistoric time where people had to literally survive every single day, running away from predators or things like that. That's where the fight or flight response was really helpful. But in today's world, we're not running away from lions and tigers. We're basically dealing with more chronic stress. So If you're working, say, on a project, going back to the examples we used before, for months and months, and it's stressful and you're not meeting your due dates and it's got a lot of, you know, it's piling on a lot of work on your plate, that's going to be more chronic stress. Or even if you're sitting every single day in traffic for hours, this is more chronic stress, right? It lasts longer, it's not as acute, and it 
doesn't really subside. It's happening every single day, another time, another time, another time. And so we used to think that only the big events cause stress, like death, divorce, loss, whatever it may be, that's, you know, big life events. But we now know that the little every single day stressors can also lead to chronic stress. So traffic and work stress and relationships and all of these things that we have to deal with every single day can absolutely create a state of chronic stress in your body. And in this situation, the adrenal glands release cortisol and cortisol increases appetite and it increases the motivation to eat. And if the stress doesn't go away or if you're not managing stress effectively on an ongoing basis, cortisol may stay elevated. It may not go down. And this is where we see chronic low-grade inflammation that's also related to cortisol levels, right? So high levels of cortisol or mildly elevated cortisol levels over the long haul can cause blood sugar to rise because it signals the liver to release stored glucose, right? Over time, your body is kind of needing that energy and it's going to tap into the glucose stores. And so a lot more sugar is going to be released into your bloodstream. And that, of course, again, feeds back into the insulin secretion and worsening resistance. So this is one way stress can lead to increased hunger. Again, usually we're going to be craving those higher calorie density foods to ensure our survival. And so when we have chronic stress, we have higher blood sugar levels. We therefore have higher insulin levels. And so we're going to feel hungrier and we're going to feel the need to eat constantly. And so if we want to look at appetite levels and cortisol levels and what's really happening in our body, we have to take inventory of all the things that may cause stress. And it's not just about an annoying boss or bad traffic. There are many things that your body perceives as stress and you may not realize it. And that includes things like not eating enough carbohydrates. It includes things like skipping meals or fasting. Also, sleep deprivation, over-exercising, not eating enough calories, dieting, all of these things are going to raise your cortisol levels. Plus, of course, we have the burden of mental and emotional factors. Many women with PCOS are dealing with mental health issues, specifically anxiety and depression, and that, of course, can lead to excess stress. So just the fact of, you know, having the diagnosis of PCOS and worrying about your health can increase stress, personal relationships, career, world events. I mean, we have no shortage of things to stress over in today's society. And what I saw while I was researching today's episode is that a recent survey from the American Psychological Association found that about one fourth of Americans, 25 percent of people in the United States, rate their stress level as an eight or more on a 10-point scale. I mean, I think that's pretty significant. That's high levels of stress for about a quarter of the population, which is a huge chunk of millions and millions of people. So stress management is a true pillar of hormone health. And unfortunately, it's often overlooked until it's a little bit too late many times. So Let this serve as a gentle reminder to prioritize your mental health every single day as best as you can and really make this a priority, not just for your hunger levels, which is what we're talking about today and reducing cortisol and making sure that you're keeping your appetite at bay, but of course also so that you can feel better mentally every single day and not have to struggle so much with the stress that's associated either with your PCOS diagnosis or with anything else that's happening in your life. Stress management is a huge priority when you're thinking about your health. 
All right. So we covered three major player in appetite management today, insulin, leptin, and cortisol. They each contribute to hunger in their own little special way, but they're also, of course, related to one another. So I think the main takeaway that I'd like you to walk away with from today's episode is that keeping blood sugar within the normal ranges and preventing peaks and valleys throughout the day is the basis for mastering your hunger and feeling in control of your appetite throughout the day. Now, when blood sugar rises and falls like a nice little wave, your hormones are also going to shift more gently. So you're going to feel better. You're not going to feel huge fluctuations. However, when hormones like insulin and cortisol are constantly spiking and crashing, you're going to feel all the negative PCOS symptoms that you're, I'm assuming, wanting to avoid. And that includes hunger and cravings, as well as fatigue and mood swings. So our goal is to keep blood sugar and insulin levels as stable as possible. And this is actually where you can really make a difference with eating behavior and your habits. So even though we're talking about hormones, and of course, much of this is genetically predetermined, you do have power and you do have a way to impact this because What you do every single day as far as your food choices and eating behaviors feeds right into either disrupting these hormones further or balancing them out and keeping them under control. So, yeah, I want you to remember that much of this is predetermined, kind of comes with the territory of PCOS. But I also want you to remember that your biology and your behavior are always doing this dance with one another where what you do can definitely impact your hormones positively and prevent your symptoms from controlling your life, which is what it can often feel like, especially with excessive hunger. So you do have the power to impact this positively. You do have the ability to make a change, even if it's something that is hormone-based. And I want to go through some of the behaviors that you may want to focus on when you're trying to curb your appetite a little bit better. The first thing we need to consider here is meal timing and specifically going too long without eating, whether that's intentional, as in you're following intermittent fasting or you're not hungry in the morning, so you skip breakfast or unintentional where you simply prioritize other things or you get too busy during the day. And I've definitely been there. But those large gaps of time between your meals will increase your hunger sensation and can also slow down your metabolism over time. If you're doing this regularly, you are going to see a difference in terms of your metabolism. Well, you're not going to see it, but you're going to feel it. And you're going to see that what you were eating before that was okay for weight maintenance is now causing weight gain. And that's a big sign that something is off with your hormones and that your metabolism may be on the kind of downward trend. It's slowing down because of meal skipping. And if you're not giving your body consistent energy throughout the day, it's going to start conserving energy. And that's how, like we said before, it's going to do it. It's going to slow down your BMR, your basal metabolic rate. So meal timing, being consistent with eating, making sure that you're not skipping meal. I definitely don't recommend fasting during the day. That's something that can really, really impact your appetite levels and create more surges of insulin throughout the day. The other thing is meal composition. Your meals may not have enough protein and fiber or volume, and therefore they're not filling enough. And so you're feeling hungry. You're feeling, you know, maybe your body's releasing cortisol and, you know, it's not getting the energy that it needs consistently. And so the composition of the meal makes a huge difference 
Many women focus only on protein, but they're really lacking the balance to necessarily truly kind of satisfy themselves and stay consistently full throughout the day. Okay, your meals should be large enough and contain enough fiber and protein to keep you full for three to four hours. And a lot of times people are just protein, protein, protein. They're missing on all the other things and they can't seem to figure out why it's not working. And so meal timing, meal composition, super important. And then, of course, we have emotional triggers. So sometimes the reasons that we eat have nothing to do with what we eat. They have everything to do with how you feel. And we all do this. We've all been there. But when you're feeling stressed or depressed or lonely or bored, it could be a wide range of emotions that can increase the desire to eat just in order to either keep yourself entertained or to numb that negative emotion. And again, many times if we choose to eat carbs in response to this, your brain's going to release serotonin, which makes you feel calm. Okay, so yes, it's going to release insulin, but also what's happening, and this is how a behavior becomes learned and it turns into a habit, is that if I'm constantly, you know, opting for carbs when feeling low, feeling little, you know, a little depressed or down, I'm eating carbs, my brain releases serotonin, it helps me feel a little bit better over time and with repeated exposure to this habit it becomes a new channel in my brain. Literally, your brain can adapt and create new pathways that will favor this specific activity. And that's how a habit is formed, all right? So this is why oftentimes we feel so strongly compelled to eat when we're emotional and it becomes really hard to stop because our brain is associating this feeling of calm with certain foods or certain eating behaviors like eating ice cream before bed, or having chips while you're watching TV. So emotional triggers do feed into our desire to eat, into our hunger, into cravings, and into the food choices that we make. But the good news is that we can definitely change it. We need to first be aware of it. So I would make sure that you take inventory of your day. What are some of the things that are stressing you out? How are you doing with meal timing, meal composition, your emotional triggers? And then you can start identifying the areas that need most of your attention. And let me tell you that with very simple habits, you can absolutely make a difference and you can see major improvements. Now, if you're ready to take action, you want more specific guidance, you want a resource to really help you along the way. I have the perfect free companion for you. So if you're someone who's dealing with a lot of cravings, a lot of hunger, impulsive eating, and you just can't seem to step out of this cycle, I want you to go check out my Craving Cure Checklist, which is a downloadable PDF that will show you how to reverse cravings, gain control over your hunger, and reduce impulsive eating with very simple daily habits. And those habits are going to walk you through the various areas that I just listed, the meal timing, meal composition, how to put your meals together. I even have recipes in there. It's gonna talk about emotional triggers, how to create a plan for your food day in a very smart way that keeps you focused and keeps your appetite under control. I have specific meal and snack ideas in there. And also we're gonna talk about how to get rid of negative emotions around food, such as guilt, shame, and regret. And overall, once you follow the simple steps that are in this free guide, you're going to feel more confident. You're going to feel more positive about your eating habits. And you're just going to feel like you took back control and you're the boss of your PCOS. 
And you can find this resource over at daphnachazen.com forward slash cravings. That's daphnachazen.com forward slash cravings. You're going to be able to read all about it, see what's included and get a downloadable version of it right into your inbox, okay? Also, I want to make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast because next week I'm going deeper into insulin resistance and I'm sharing effective ways that you can reverse insulin resistance that have nothing to do with carbs. So we're going to talk about all the different ways that you can positively impact your insulin without cutting out carbs and without eliminating the foods that you love. So I want to make sure that you get a notification when that episode goes live. Be sure to subscribe and I cannot wait to see you again soon.